What's up, everyone, and welcome back or welcome to the School District Podcast. My name is Adam. Welcome. This is my podcast. I'm the host, and I really hope you enjoy all the conversations I have with educators literally all over the world. We talk about the pain points and lessons learned in education so we can simply be better for kids and the colleagues we work with. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and share your favorite conversations with colleagues or anyone you think would enjoy. Back after a short break is the absolutely most amazing data insight tool that any school leader can have in their arsenal. Schoolytics. Let me tell you, I don't just have sponsors on this podcast. I work with companies that make a difference in the lives of educators and Schoolytics is at the top. I was recently working with a couple of districts, having dinner with central office folks, principals, directors of curriculum, directors of data, superintendents, and we were talking about their data as a district. And to be honest, uh, in my previous life, <laughs> when I was a principal and a director of innovation, I looked at data and we talked about data, but we did not go deep on the data. SIS, LMS, assessment platforms, and so on. Uh, you got to have it all connected and it's there. Some is here, some is there. Schoolytics is the answer for them and for you. Switch on Schoolytics to get more, crank out the data that you need and just simply be better. Go to schoolytics.com at school, Y-T-I-C-S.com to contact the team and get started today. It is linked in the show notes as well. Your teachers will thank you, the board will thank you, and you're going to thank yourself for finally getting all of that data organized into one place where you can make sense of it all and then make decisions that are just better for everyone in your district. Schoolytics.com. Get started today. I've written four books, Kids Deserve It, Run Like a Pirate, Empower Our Girls, and Teachers Deserve It. As you can imagine, they are on Amazon and pretty much anywhere you can buy books. And also, if you want to listen to Kids Deserve It, we have it, actually have it on Audible. It's a great way to support the podcast. And if you're looking for a speaker, I feel that I just bring high energy, relevancy. I'm fun. I'm relatable. I'm down to earth. I am booking professional development days. Keynotes right now for 2023. This is early January. I'm getting probably about 10 inquiries a week right now for 2023 and 2024. I've given well over 325 keynotes all across North America, breakout sessions, coaching, leadership strands, you name it. I would love to work with you. Just uh, Adam, welcome at gmail.com to email me directly, or you can go to my website. That's mradamwelcome.com for more information about my speaking and also my other podcasts and blog. All right. My guest for today, there's probably like three people out there who have not heard of Jill Seiler. Uh, she's absolutely amazing. She's a leader. She's an author. She's a speaker. She's currently the deputy executive director for professional learning. I mean, she's done pretty much everything. She has an amazing book, Thrive Through Five, that I absolutely see everywhere. I literally see it everywhere. And I finally just had to reach out. I was like, Jill, I got to have you on the podcast. It was hard to get her scheduled because her schedule is busy, just like mine. The energy, the ideas, the tools that Jill talks about are just absolutely fabulous. 
and amazing. She's in Texas. You're going to love it. Make sure to follow Jill on Twitter, Jill M. Seiler. That is linked in the show notes as well. I thank you, I thank you for being here and for listening, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Dr. Jill Seiler, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Yeah, so much. We were DMing on uh, on Twitter, which we should probably talk about Twitter maybe uh, later on in the podcast. Like what is going to happen <laughs> and where are people going to meet? Uh, but you're somebody I that know. I was like messaging you. I'm like, I've never talked to you. I've never met you. And I've seen your book and your face and just everything about you for so long. It's like, I, I got to have Jill on the podcast, currently Deputy Executive Director for Professional Learning for the Texas Association of school administrators for the meantime while it is still there make sure you follow jill j-i-l-l m siler s-i-l-e-r on twitter i'm going to link it in the show notes as well too for those who don't know who you are give us some background and tell us about yourself jill yeah, so I've been in public education for 25 years, started as a paraprofessional, was a classroom teacher, a coach, a campus leader, a district leader, and then had the great privilege to serve as superintendent for almost 10 years in a small uh, district in North Texas. And then just this past year, stepped into leading uh, in a, a different way. And um, so our, my association serves all of the leaders, really from assistant principal all the way to superintendent in Texas, and uh, get to spend a lot of time with our aspiring superintendents, our first-time superintendents. Um, and just really leading the professional learning that's happening in our state. And I love it. Yeah. So you say North Texas, I've been kind of all over Texas. And until you've been to Texas, you don't realize that like an eight hour drive across Texas is normal. Like if you're like, oh, hey, I'm going to go to Houston. You're like, okay, that's, I don't even know how many hours, but you're almost to Oklahoma. Is that, I mean, are you kind of up at the tip? Yeah, literally 20 minutes from the Oklahoma border. Oh, mm -hmm. well, okay, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the first time someone was like eight hours, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, no, no, that's a normal, that's a normal drive in Texas. So I was sharing with you right before we started, I've really enjoyed being able to talk with school districts. And so this summer I did my first Texas tour and I think I hit, gosh, I don't even know, 20 school districts over like three weeks, but I drove five thousand miles just in texas oh my I mean, gosh yeah. it's crazy it's no joke yeah so wait wait did the cowboys clinch a playoff berth Listen, this year they like did. I know they did. And it's just, you know, the Cowboys <laughs> keep us on our toes. Oh my gosh. Hey, what are you most excited about right now in education, Jill? Oh, you know, I would say that, um, there's so much to be excited for. Like every time uh, that I'm able to be on campuses and see the incredible things that our kids and our teachers are doing, I just get fired up. One of the really neat uh, organizations we have in Texas is the Future Ready Superintendent Leadership Network. And this is a group of, gosh, almost 300 people that come together. It's designed by superintendents, led by superintendents. And as a part of each event, you know, we're hearing from industry leaders, we're hearing from education professionals, but we always make it uh, a point to get onto campuses. Um, we might have to divide up into a lot of groups because everything is big in Texas, including the size of that group, but just to be in classrooms and see how innovative our districts are being to give these kids opportunities that are gonna prepare them for the future, man, it just fires me up. Yeah, no, speaking of that, I know when I went to work at a central office, I was a director of innovation at a really large school district. And I feel like the farther people get away from the school, the more time that they really need to spend in schools, uh, talking, seeing things, because you can't know where you need to go unless you know 
where you are as a site leader, as a district office leader, superintendent, what are some strategies that you would tell other people to use to get into schools? Because I feel like you get to central office and there's so much work there and you're like, yes. And then you just kind of get disconnected. And I've asked this question a lot. Uh, if you're at the central office, what can you do to really make yourself, force yourself strategies that really become habits to spend more time in schools and classrooms? So, you know, in Texas, it's huge. We have over 1,100 school districts. But the interesting thing that people don't often know is that most of the schools in Texas are rather small. And Adam, I know that you do a lot of work in some of our smaller school districts, but we're talking 500 kids, 1,000 kids. And so when I was thinking about becoming a superintendent, I had always worked in larger school districts and really had anticipated that's where my career would just continue to go. And then I had this opportunity to serve as a superintendent of a smaller school district, started at about 750. There are probably now 1,200 now, but um, just being in that environment, I was so shocked being in central office like yourself and then becoming a superintendent, you're thinking, gosh, one more step removed, I'm going to be further from kids and then come to a school district this size and just see that you are involved in the kids' activities all the time. And so I'd say that that's part of it, right? It's a lot easier for a smaller school district um, to do that because you have fewer number of schools, you're at all of those events, seeing kids consistently, seeing teachers consistently. I knew everyone in my community, which was a huge blessing that not everyone has. But some strategies that I would share um, would be, you know, one of the easiest things to do is obviously <laughs> your calendar tells the story of the kind of leader that you are, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have to be intentional with our time. And so for me, part of that was just scheduling out time. It was super easy to get kind of underwater once the day started. So three times a week, just starting on a different campus, I'm going to be at middle school. I'm going to walk door to door, say hi to teachers, check in with the principals, say hi to kids, get out of their way when uh, we know when when we need to do that. And so that's an easy way to do that. And then just little things, you know, if you're scheduling a one on one with your um, your leaders on the campus to go to them as opposed to having them come to you all the time. And again, the size of your district really um, dictates what that's going to look like, but it can still be there. It's just going to look different. I get to see the same people all the time. Larger districts, you're not. You're choosing which campuses you're going to and spreading that out. But I think being intentional with your time really Really being intentional with your calendar, spending some time reflecting on what that calendar from the past month looked like and seeing if that reflects really the work that you want to be involved in. And if it doesn't, how can you shift things around to make that happen? Yeah, I know. I love those strategies. You know, speaking of your future um, ready superintendent mm -hmm. kind of group and cohort, and I know you're a super connected person. Who, who do you learn from, Jill? Who are you learning from? And I would say kind of like that third tier of this question is, where do you find people to learn from? And I kind of like jokingly um, talked about Twitter at the beginning and who knows what's going to happen. There's a lot going on there. I feel like that's, mm -hmm. that's how we know each other other than, you know, our, our publisher DBC, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but like, where would you now go to find people to learn from? So kind of mm. a three questions in one. <laughs> sure. No problem. So I'd say in general, mentorship, right, is so important. And I think, you know, as we are moving up in our careers, especially as we're early on, it's so easy to find people to mentor you, right? When you're becoming an assistant principal, becoming a principal, those opportunities are right there for you. But as you move further in your career, it becomes more difficult. It becomes more challenging because the very people that were pouring into you are now your friends and your colleagues as you're kind of in that same stage of your careers as they are. And I say that to say this, that we have to continue always to find people to pour into us. 
and at the same time, make sure we're pouring into others. So some of the ways that I find that in, in my own um, just kind of networks, obviously the, the relationships that I have. So I have a couple of sister superintendents, uh, Latonya Goffney, Martha Salazar, Zamora. there's so many out there, Susan Bone, that really have just, you know, as Latonya would always say, one of our superintendents in Texas, iron sharpens iron, right? And so finding people who really... Um, are just going to be your thought partners in this work that we get to do is important. And then of course, looking to people that are in um, just kind of sharing that word. One of the first people that I had a conversation with as I was thinking about, okay, I don't wanna leave my district. I love what I'm doing. But I also know that I feel called to lead in a, in a different way as well. Um, and the first person that I went to was Joe Sanfilippo, who is a superintendent in Wisconsin and doing very much what I wanted to do. He was a superintendent and doing a fantastic job, but also broadening his platform to speak to others. And so I've looked to people like, you know, Joe Sanfilippo and George Kuros and uh, Tom Murray to kind of like help me, you know, know what that looks like. And then of course, it's the people who... Um, gosh, are sharing their message at a totally different level. Um, and so mentorship comes from those personal relationships, but they also come from things like as simple as getting the 321 newsletter on Thursdays from James Clear, right? The author of Atomic Habits and just kind of getting that little nuggets uh, for my work job uh, with TASA, I'm able to lead our conferences and we're bringing in Brene Brown in January as our keynote. And just to have some time to just sit and listen to that wisdom that she brings in um, is so critically important too. Yeah, there are so many names there. I just got a second Joe Sanfilippo, awesome, awesome human being. He's a good friend of mine too. And Dr. Goffney, if you are listening, I've been trying to get her on the podcast for a while. Texas Superintendent of the Year, um, absolutely awesome. And uh, also Dr. Bone from uh, Aledo, I know her well mm -hmm. too. She's absolutely, I think she was super, Superintendent of the Year, I think for her region um, or, or something. Was. Yeah, I mean, just absolutely. Um, so speaking of Brene Brown, do you have a book recommendation Brene Brown, if you're listening, I would love to have you on the podcast because um, she has been the most uh, dropped book recommendation person on the podcast over the last few years. But is there a book that maybe you give to all aspiring admins or new admins or, or just, you know, veteran admins that you're like, hey, read this book. It's really going to change your view on leadership. I mean, there's so many mm -hmm. um, from Brene Brown specifically, uh, Dare to Lead, uh, you know, which is the theme that she's going to speak to us in January about um, is is probably my favorite book of hers, although I'm in the middle of Atlas of the Heart right now, um, which is another uh, great read. Um, in terms of leadership, I mean, there's so many books that are uh, just incredible. On the innovation side, I'm a huge fan of The Innovator's Mindset by George Kuros. Um, on the leader side, I love uh, John Gordon's The Power of Positive Leadership coming at it, not from just this notion of Pollyanna positivity, but really what does it take to turn a culture in an organization such that people are moving and supporting one another. Um, and so those are a couple of books that I kind of go to for leaders at any stage of their career. Yeah. Speaking of books, you have an awesome book that I absolutely see everywhere. I, I do a lot of work around the country and I'll see it on the bookshelves of so many principals and superintendents thrive through five Jill, tell us about your book. Yeah, so I love what I what I do. And I've loved every job that I've had in education. And I always tell people like, I love my job so much. I love it 95% of the time. And <laughs> may, maybe that statement was pre-COVID. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, but I do, I love my job that much. And people are like, that's incredible. And it is, but there's this small part of the work that we do in our professional lives and our personal lives that is really, really challenging. Um, whether it's the tragedy that happens, whether it's not having enough funding, whether it's the poor choices that are made in our organizations, whether it's just the weight 
of the job, right? It, the weight that follows us, no matter what we're doing in education. And that 5% is so challenging. And for me, it was kind of a, like, let's dig into this and see, you know, obviously not what, not only what are the pain points, we kind of know what those are, but what are the strategies that we do internally, externally to kind of uh, not just survive those moments, but to truly thrive. And so that was really the impetus of digging in and, and really writing and, and thinking and learning about um, just how do we thrive in those moments that are really challenging. And then of course, you know, the pandemic happens and we've had, gosh, two and a half, three years of the most difficult years we've seen in education. Yeah, Thrive Through Five, you can pick it up on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, basically anywhere books are sold. We have the same publisher, DBC, shout out to Dave Burgess fantastic and, the, and the team there, mm -hmm. absolutely fantastic. Now, Jill, I feel that there's a TMI problem in education, just like too many initiatives. I know when I was mm -hmm. a principal, we were just trying to do too many things or you know, people were trying to do too many things and a lot of conversations I have with people, they're trying to do 20 to 25 things with mediocrity. And I feel like doing three to five really deep with fidelity is, is a better strategy. What do you think we can do about that? What are some strategies maybe that like a principal or a superintendent can say, okay, I have my strategic plan. We have our portrait of a graduate, whatever those pieces are. And then how do you have conversations? How do you kind of say, this is important. We've been doing it for five, 10, maybe 15, 20 years, but you know what? We have to fade this out. I know that's kind of a big, broad question, but I do feel like we're just trying to do so many things. And I feel like, I fear that maybe we're not doing anything well because we're trying to do too many things. Mm. So first of all, I think that that is such an important issue and one that's not talked about enough. And the challenging part about that, Adam, is that some of the people that are really struggling with this the most had little to no control over it, right? So our campus leaders, the ones who are in the trenches trying to lead their campuses, um, <laughs> often are, are, are doing so at the directive of things that are happening at the district level. And like we talked about earlier, if that district leadership is disconnected to what's happening on the ground, um, can sometimes make decisions that are not in the best interest of students or teachers or leaders. And so first, just to value how difficult that is um, for some of our campus leaders who are, <laughs> I can give all the strategies in the world, but if you're a campus leader and, and has these layers and layers of district initiatives, it's really challenging. So I think when you're working Working with staff, when you're working with educators, one of the most important things to do is to um, make sure that you're keeping the main thing, the main thing, right? And so sometimes people see it as we're doing so many different things, but often they're really connected and they're really leading towards the same goal. And so the better we as leaders can tell our story, right? And make sure that we're communicating in a way so people understand how these things are working together and how they're benefiting students, I think is really important. So that's just kind of first and foremost. And second, leaders just need to know that um, sometimes there's too many things going on. And we have to be intentional about what we're moving forward with and what we're strategically abandoning. That's most important. And then the other piece that I think is really important too is, is listening to our staff. You know, one of the things that's challenging um, about the couple of years that we've gone through where it's been so difficult is it's this fine line between we have to keep moving forward because our kids deserve for us to keep moving forward and continue to learn to do what is best in their interest. But we also can't lose the very people that are masterful in the places that matter the most in our classrooms, right? That is the single most important factor is the adult in front of those children. And so, you know, some of the work that, that I've been doing um, just released an article with AASA this past fall talking about teacher morale and wellness. 
And this is a real issue. Like we know that we are losing educators. And if there is one issue that is at the core of whether or not we are going to make or break moving forward, it is whether or not we have effective educators in our classrooms. And so, you know, some of the research that was shared in that was done by EAB, a research organization. And they talked about, you know, so many of us are coming at this work. How do we keep our teachers in a place where they can do and be their very best in our classrooms for our kids? And they come at it from this perspective of, like, of the caregiver. Like, we're going to do these one-off initiatives like Jeans Day, Taco Tuesday, you know, Sonic drinks, whatever it is. And, and that can be helpful for teachers, but it's not going to sustain them when things get really difficult, right? There's this generalist, which a small portion of our districts come at this, and it's kind of where you try to operationalize every factor around morale. And again, we're really not going to get at the issues, but where they say that things can be truly effective for leaders is when you come at this work from a doctor perspective. And the way that you do that is you slow down enough to truly diagnose what the root problem of the morale issue is, what the, the wellness issue is on campus, and then partner with your employees to solve it. And I think that that's where all of this kind of lands. Like sometimes when we get into the, the nation, this notion of, of too many initiatives is because people aren't listening to the people on the ground and, and have this just good perspective of what's really happening. But if we can diagnose the cause of what's going on with our staff, if we can prioritize those threats, if we can co-design solutions with them, um, that's when we really get to the crux of what's happening. One of my favorite leaders in Texas, another one to put on your list if she hasn't come on yet, is Dr. Georgianne Warnock from Terrell ISD. She's also known as the subbing superintendent um, on TikTok. Um, she's uh, very big on TikTok. And, uh, but one of the things that she tells about is, you know, she came as a superintendent right before the pandemic. And then of course, like 60 days later, she started in January, everyone was sent home because COVID hit and they come back, they're supporting kids and staff and all those things the next year. But they really felt like moving into that year that things were going to be better and they weren't. And uh, she tried everything she possibly could, like the jeans passes and the taco Tuesdays and all the things. And finally she had a staff member say, Dr. Warnock, like, I love everything you're doing to try to support us. But at the end of the day, we've got three people with doctorate degrees delivering sonic drinks down the hall, mm -hmm. and we are dying, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have enough subs on campus, not enough personnel on campuses. Our classes are being combined. Like, we need help. And she, of course, she responded and started subbing, and all of her staff did as well, and really tried to work with their staff to solve that problem. Keeping the lines of communication open being on campus and listening to the people who are closest to the very thing that we're trying to move forward, that's where things can get better for our staff. That's where things can just improve for our teachers overall. And that's how we're going to keep this incredible staff that we have. Yeah. Well, first off, you know, you're from Texas when you talk about Sonic, because we don't have Sonic in California. So you're like, Sonic, okay. a lot of people here in California, I know what you're talking about, <laughs> but I'm so with you. And I was shaking my head like, no, you know, Sonic drinks or G first of off, just let teachers wear jeans all the time. I, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand that. That I actually a chapter in my latest book, Teachers Deserve It. Like, let people wear jeans. What does it matter? Um, there's actually been research and surveys from like corporations, like tech companies and such, that yeah, people like the free food and they like the laundry and the massages, but they want the culture and they want to have a voice in it. You know, so if you're looking from an apples to apples from like a corporate to like a education standpoint, it's very clear that those things are nice, but it's not why people get into a company or stay into a company. Um, and I, I love strategic abandonment. That's a much more um, EDD way of saying TMI. I love it. <laughs> I love that like piece together, <laughs> but it's true 
true. You know, it's kind of like fading friends. Like we've probably all have had or have friends or people in our life that maybe you just keep them around because you've known them forever and they're really not what they are anymore. And the same, same thing with an initiative. And um, I think everybody, it's, it's, a, it's a really important thing to, uh, to think about. And um, I'm going to reach out to Dr. Warnock, but take that as a piece, like everybody in central office, go and substitute, go and be, go and be a paraprofessional for a day, get your bus certification and drive the bus, uh, you know, do lunch duty, open up go-gurts during lunch, because, you know, that's <laughs> real life for people at a school site. And if you've never done it, or you, you haven't done it in a long time, it's a, it's a really big eye-opener. Jill, if you could choose one person, alive or dead, to spend the day with who's not a family member, who would it be and why? One person to spend a day with. Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, there's so many choices here. Um, I would have to say someone along the lines of like Maya Angelou, Martin Luther King Jr. Like I think from that perspective, what we need right now um, in our districts, in our country um, is just bold leadership. And so I think about like those two names came to mind of just someone who had the courage and the bravery to um, to bring uh, truth and a level of peace that we hadn't seen before. And so, um, and and move things forward in a way that needed to happen. And so that would be my my thought. Right yeah, now. I love it. Jill, a big part of this podcast is just amplifying the voices of my guests. I'm just gonna pass the microphone over to you to close us out. What would you like to say to all the people that listen to this podcast? I would say that, you know, I've loved every job that I've had and um, leadership is an incredible privilege but it's not without cost. Like this work that we do has been hard. And I don't know that it's been any more difficult than it has been the past couple of years. And so I just wanna edify and say a word of gratitude for the work that you're doing because it has been difficult. But I also know that that feeling of being overwhelmed and inadequate is not a sign that you're not the person for the job. It is a part of the growing process. And so if you're in the trenches and if you're feeling like, gosh, I'm just so tired, I just want you to have a word of encouragement um, that you are perfectly equipped for this job that you've been called to. And that even though you have these moments or these seasons where things are challenging, um, that this, this too shall pass, right? And um, if we stay connected to the things that bring us joy, continue taking action towards Towards making things better for us um, and the people that are around us, we can continue to be our best selves at work and still have our best selves to take home because that is so incredibly important. I have had so much fun talking with you, Jill. I, I'm so mad that it's taken us this long, but it's kind of like Argentina winning the World Cup. It was like, oh, it's so worth great. it. It's worth What an amazing World Cup final, um, but it's worth it um, when it takes that long. Dr. Jill Seiler, Jill M. Seiler on Twitter. Uh, pick up one of her, pick, pick up her book, Thrive Through Five. Uh, absolutely awesome read. It's won so many awards and I literally see it everywhere I go. You will not be disappointed. Thanks. Jill, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Everybody listening, thanks for all you do, and I hope that you have an absolutely amazing day.